Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Mysterious Island by Jules Verne, Part 1, Chapter 12 They now began the descent of the mountain. Climbing down the crater, they went round the cone and reached their encampment of the previous night. Pencroft thought it must be breakfast time, and the watches of the reporter and engineer were therefore consulted to find out the hour. That of Gideon Spilett had been preserved from the sea-water, as he had been thrown at once on the sand out of reach of the waves. It was an instrument of excellent quality, a perfect pocket chronometer, which the reporter had not forgotten to wind up carefully every day. As to the engineer's watch, it, of course, had stopped during the time which he had passed on the downs. The engineer now wound it up and, ascertaining by the height of the sun that it must be about nine o'clock in the morning, he put his watch at that hour. "'No, my dear Spilett, wait. You have kept the Richmond time, have you not?' "'Yes, Cyrus. Consequently, your watch is set by the meridian of that town, which is almost that of Washington?' "'Undoubtedly.' "'Very well. Keep it thus. Content yourself with winding it up very exactly, but do not touch the hands.' This may be of use to us. Well, what will be the good of that? thought the sailor. They ate, and so heartily, that the store of game and almonds was totally exhausted. But Pencroft was not at all uneasy. They would supply themselves on the way. Top, whose share had been very much to his taste, would know how to find some fresh game among the brushwood. Moreover, the sailor thought of simply asking the engineer to manufacture some powder and one or two fowling pieces. He supposed there would be no difficulty in that. On leaving the plateau, the captain proposed to his companions to return to the chimneys by a new way. He wished to reconnoitre Lake Grant, so magnificently framed in trees. They therefore followed the crest of one of the spurs, between which the creek that supplied the lake probably had its source. In talking, the settlers already employed the names which they had just chosen, which singularly facilitated the exchange of their ideas. Herbert and Pencroft, the one young and the other very boyish, were enchanted, and while walking the sailor said, "'Hey, Herbert, how capital it sounds! It will be impossible to lose ourselves, my boy, since whether we follow the way to Lake Grant, or whether we join the Mercy through the woods of the far west, we shall be certain to arrive at Prospect Heights, and consequently at Union Bay. It had been agreed that without forming a compact band, the settlers should not stray away from each other. It was very certain that the thick forests of the island were inhabited by dangerous animals, and it was prudent to be on their guard. In general, Pencroft, Herbert, and Neb walked first, preceded by Top, 
who poked his nose into every bush. The reporter and the engineer went together, Gideon Spillett ready to note every incident, the engineer silent for the most part, and only stepping aside to pick up, one thing or another, a mineral or vegetable substance, which he put into his pocket without making any remark. "'What can he be picking up?' muttered Pencroft. "'I have looked in vain for anything that's worth the trouble of stooping for.' Towards ten o'clock the little band descended the last declivities of Mount Franklin. As yet the ground was scantily strewn with bushes and trees. They were walking over yellowish calcinated earth, forming a plain of nearly a mile long, which extended to the edge of the wood. Great blocks of that basalt, which, according to Bischoff, takes three hundred and fifty millions of years to cool, strewed the plain, very confused in some places. However, there were here no traces of lava, which was spread more particularly over the northern slopes. Cyrus Harding expected to reach, without incident, the course of the creek, which he supposed flowed under the trees at the border of the plain, when he saw Herbert running hastily back, while Neb and the sailor were hiding behind the rocks. "'What's the matter, my boy?' asked Spilett. "'Smoke!' replied Herbert. We have seen smoke among the rocks, a hundred paces from us. "'Men in this place!' cried the reporter. "'We must avoid showing ourselves before knowing with whom we have to deal,' replied Cyrus Harding. "'I trust that there are no natives on this island. I dread them more than anything else. Where is Top?' "'Top is on before.' "'And he doesn't bark?' "'No.' "'That is strange. However, we must try to call him back.' In a few moments the engineer, Gideon Spilett, and Herbert had rejoined their two companions, and like them they kept out of sight behind the heaps of basalt. From thence they clearly saw smoke of a yellowish color rising in the air. Top was recalled by a slight whistle from his master, and the latter, signing to his companions to wait for him, glided away among the rocks. The colonists, motionless, anxiously awaited the results of this exploration, when a shout from the engineer made them hasten forward. They soon joined him, and were at once struck with a disagreeable odour which impregnated the atmosphere. The odour, easily recognised, was enough for the engineer to guess what the smoke was which at first, not without cause, had startled him. "'This fire,' said he, or rather, this smoke is produced by nature alone. There is a sulphur spring there, which will cure all our sore throats. Captain, cried Pencroft, what a pity that I haven't got a cold. The settlers then directed their steps toward the place from which the smoke escaped. They there saw a sulphur spring which flowed abundantly between the rocks, and its waters discharged a strong sulphuric acid odor, after having absorbed the oxygen of the air. Cyrus Harding, dipping in his hand, felt the water oily to the touch. He tasted it, and found it rather sweet. As to its temperature, that he estimated at ninety-five degrees Fahrenheit. Herbert having asked on what he based this calculation, "'It's quite simple, my boy,' said he for, in plunging my hand into the water, I felt no sensation either of heat or cold. Therefore it has the same temperature as the human body, which is about ninety-five degrees. 
The sulphur spring, not being of any actual use to the settlers, they proceeded towards the thick border of the forest, which began some hundred paces off. There, as they had conjectured, the waters of the stream flowed clear and limpid between high banks of red earth, the colour of which betrayed the presence of oxide of iron. From this colour the name of Red Creek was immediately given to the watercourse. It was only a large stream, deep and clear, formed of the mountain water, which, half river, half torrent, here rippling peacefully over the sand, there chafing against the rocks or dashing down in a cascade, ran towards the lake, over a distance of a mile and a half, its breadth varying from thirty to forty feet. Its waters were sweet, and it was supposed that those of the lake were so also. A fortunate circumstance, in the event of their finding on its borders a more suitable dwelling than the chimneys. As to the trees, which some hundred feet downwards shaded the banks of the creek, they belonged, for the most part, to the species which abound in the temperate zone of America and Tasmania, and no longer to those coniferae observed in that portion of the island already explored to some miles from Prospect Heights. At this time of the year, the commencement of the month of April, which represents the month of October in this hemisphere, that is, the beginning of autumn, they were still in full leaf. They consisted principally of casuarinas and eucalypti, some of which next year would yield a sweet manna, similar to the manna of the east. Clumps of Australian cedars rose on the sloping banks, which were also covered with a high grass called tussack in New Holland. But the coconut, so abundant in the archipelagos of the Pacific, seemed to be wanting in the island, the latitude doubtless being too low. "'What a pity!' said Herbert. "'Such a useful tree, and which is such beautiful nuts!' As to the birds, they swarmed among the scanty branches of the eucalypti and casuarinas, which did not hinder the display of their wings black, white, or grey cockatoos, parakeets, with plumage of all colours, kingfishers of a sparkling green and crowned with red, blue lorries, and various other birds appeared on all sides, as through a prism, fluttering about and producing a deafening clamour. Suddenly a strange concert of discordant voices resounded in the midst of a thicket. The settlers heard successfully the song of birds, the cry of quadrupeds, and a sort of clacking which they might have believed to have escaped from the lips of a native. Neb and Herbert rushed towards the bush, forgetting even the most elementary principles of prudence. Happily they found there neither a formidable wild beast nor a dangerous native, but merely half a dozen mock 